The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans We're Discussing before you listen to the podcast. New episodes air Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on FX. Until you've tried to turn somebody and they try to kill you and wind up killing themselves, really don't judge. Welcome to the Americans podcast for the sixth and final season. I'm June Thomas, managing producer of Slate Podcasts and your host for the series, which goes behind the scenes of the show. Later, I'll chat with Alyssa Monks, a Brooklyn artist who created the paintings and drawings that Erica Haskett makes on the show. We'll also hear from set decorator Mila Kalovich and art director Tim Goodmanson about the challenges of creating an artist's home. But first, let's hear from showrunners Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields, who wrote this episode, number 602, Tchaikovsky. Today, I'm in Gassigawanis with Joe Weisberg. Hi, Joe. Hi, June. And Joel Fields. Hi, Joel. Hi, June. So the tease in this episode shows Elizabeth as Stephanie withholding morphine from Erica. And am I wrong to think that you're playing with viewers' attitudes to Elizabeth there. I mean, at points she feels cruel, at points she feels supportive of Glenn. And I know I shouldn't be shocked, shocked that you would manipulate the emotions of viewers, but it's part of an undercover operation. So like, to what extent is Elizabeth truly helping Erica Hastert? Before we even get to that, I want to say, how about that wig? That's vaulted right up to the top of my favorite wig of the entire series. Elizabeth, of course, has killed a lot of people. And now we're putting her in a situation <laughs> where she's taking care of someone. Not and only that, where she has to keep someone alive yeah. is the problem. Because, boy, yeah. if this woman dies, the whole operation falls apart. So here's Elizabeth Jennings, who spent years killing people to get information. And now she has to care for somebody and keep them alive to get information. But you referenced that point about the morphine. That thing she said about the morphine was true. It's actually true that she's concerned about getting her addicted to morphine. And at least from our medical research, what, what she told her there was accurate and something a nurse would have worried about. Wow. Even if a husband might have pointed out with a terminally ill wife, it doesn't make sense. When you talk about historical events as you do in this episode, for example, the acronyms and the abbreviations, and we're still pretty early in the season when we're kind of acclimatizing to what's going on. Do you worry about historical spoilers? We more figure that we have to have people talk the way people would really talk. And that's just our that's just what we do. And so we don't even get to the question you're asking. We're so devoted yeah. to people saying the things they would say and acting the way they would act. And the rest of it almost doesn't matter to us. You know, we always look back at uh, The Wire, where oh. they were like always talking about stuff and you didn't follow the exact things they were saying a, a lot of the time, but it didn't matter. The pattern was so real and so good that if you didn't follow the exact things, you didn't care because you knew they were talking the way those guys talked. Yeah. But it's and also it, important to us that it be accurate. So mm -hmm. if you did Google it, it should all make even more sense, but it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't matter that you, the audience, know what ACTA is. What matters is that the characters know it. Claudia gives Elizabeth an assignment. 
But in some ways right now, Elizabeth feels like the superior officer. Maybe it's just that we're aware of the gravity and scope of the mission that she got in Mexico City. But how does the Claudia-Elizabeth relationship seem to you guys right now? Well, it's interesting you talk about superior-inferior. Always for us, it never really seemed like it was superior or inferior in terms of the relationship with the handlers. We thought of it more as superstar coach and superstar player. Mm. And the truth is, if you're the superstar player on a team, you probably are in a more powerful position in the organization than your coach is. But that's not the way coaching can really work either. So that's an interesting dynamic. And in this case here, yes, Elizabeth has gone to Mexico. Claudia knows that she's gone to Mexico. Elizabeth found out information about a mission that Claudia's not read in on. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. But it doesn't really shift that dynamic. It just shifts kind of the question of what's important in any given moment. So when Claudia gives her this mission to get the sensor and says, they told me to tell you has to do with Mexico, that just signals that it's very important and Claudia is not going to ask questions about it at this point. What has shifted the dynamic is that they've joined forces in the kind of training and education of Paige. They're so together on that that any sort of lingering antagonism from their battles of the past has dissipated to the point that it's disappeared. They really now are so simpatico, they're, in a sense, raising this kid together. And, and they have the same goals there and the same beliefs. And, and, and so Claudia and, and, and Elizabeth ha- are, are really sort of an emotional place together that we've never really seen them. Elizabeth denies to Paige that spies ever use sex as part of their operation. And I get that Paige is going to be a bureaucrat. She's not going to be an action spy. Well, just to clarify, mm. she's going to work in an American bureaucracy, but she's going to be a spy. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a heavy-duty, serious spy by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. So in Elizabeth's be- mind, she's not going to go around fucking guys, okay. and hopefully is not going to be murdering people either, uh-huh. but... She's going to be a spy. She's going to be in great danger. If she's exposed, she's going to go to jail for the rest of her life. So she's a big time spy. Okay. But okay. she will never have to do, in Elizabeth's mind, she will never have to do honey trapping or commit murder. In a way, the spying she'll be able to do as a, as a second generation illegal is, is far greater because she'll have access to things that Philip and Elizabeth could never have access to. Sex is taken out of her quiver of options, as it were. But that lying to Paige just feels... It just feels like a bad idea. Well, it's a bridge too far. She's got to make a judgment. Elizabeth has to make a judgment about what Paige's psyche can handle and what she can take. Mm. And Elizabeth's judgment, and I think we would agree with this wholeheartedly, for Elizabeth to say to this kid who's grown up in America, seen the things she's seen, had the experiences that she has had, it was a shock to her system, but one that her parents ultimately felt she could survive, get over, and essentially remain a whole integrated human being to find out that her parents were Russian spies. Mm. But to find out that her mother, and ultimately her father too, had sex with other people as part of their jobs, just like finding out that they murder people, Mm. that in their judgment, probably accurately, would turn her against them forever and just irretrievably. You also may be right that it may not be the best idea to mm-hmm. tell that lie. She may have not have an option 
other than to tell that lie. But that's also the only option she sees. And I don't think anybody would go around, even if they knew everything, anybody would go around accusing Elizabeth Jennings of being the most enlightened mother <laughs> in history. Yeah. To Joel's point, she's not. In, it's not a great situation. Yeah. It would have been better if Paige never brought it up. Yeah. Well, it also would have been better if they weren't deep cover Soviet agents. Maybe. You know, that'd be the best. Well, then we'd have no show. That's What's so right. great about that? But it'd be better for Paige. What was going on with that portable x-ray machine? What was the purpose of it? Well, they were taking x-rays of the inside of the diplomatic pouch. There's no way to get inside a diplomatic pouch because by diplomatic rules, conventions, agreements, understandings, you cannot touch that or open it. Essentially, a diplomatic pouch has diplomatic immunity. So they figured out a scam, essentially, whereby they can take an x-ray of it. What the x-ray machine can do, it can't read documents, but it can see any objects that are inside of there. And the diplomatic pouch is not just used to ferry documents. Also, anything the KGB has stolen that they have to get back to Mm. the Soviet Union – they'll send in a diplomatic pouch. So any solid things that are in there, it'll be able to see, and then the FBI will be able to get a sense, as far as an X-ray image can tell them, of what it is. There's a really scary moment, extra scary, because we're in the final season of the show, when Renhol pulls a gun on Elizabeth. Was it an operational mistake on her part to organize a meeting outside of her support team's line of sight? We don't feel she made a mistake, June. Any operation she's going to pursue is going to involve some level of risk. And in this case, it goes sideways. The one mistake she might admit to is moving too fast in this operation. I think if it hadn't come out of Mexico, if it weren't the summit, if urgency wasn't escalating so much, she might have taken longer to work Renhol and to be more careful on a human level. But it's always easy to judge in retrospect But until you've tried to turn somebody and they try to kill you and wind up killing themselves, really don't judge. In this episode, Elizabeth effectively saves herself from Reynolds' threats by talking about being a mother. That's psychology. But do you think the kids are, in fact, her Achilles heel? It's good for Russia that no one has ever cottoned onto them and attempted to use the kids against them? Or do you think the kids have kept Elizabeth and Philip alive because... It caused them to kind of soften the risk that they took? Probably as with any family. It's hard to really imagine a a universe in which Philip and Elizabeth exist without their kids. And and the role the kids have played, it's really both. You can't say one or the other. The kids have been their strength and their weakness. Mm. You know, I think – those kids have been there almost the entire time they've been in America at this point. So so the way they've grown up and Philip and Elizabeth have adjusted their way of being in the world, the way, their way of thinking, their way of spying, their tradecraft, everything, their whole worldview and way of being spies has, has adjusted so much around having a family and, yeah. and having kids that I think it almost makes it impossible to answer that. And yet she, she goes for that. She knows that hearing that she's a mother, she knows that that has a chance of being an effective plea. I mean, I don't think she thinks it's going to work. I think she thinks she's trying to buy herself a second and a half. Uh-huh. And I think she's desperate and she's trying to buy herself that time. And I, I, I get the feeling more when I watch that, that that's what she's doing. It worked to buy her a second and a half. I don't think she thinks it's going to buy her her life. And I don't think it was going to. I think he was going to shoot her in half a second after that. I mean, who knows? What right. was your feeling there, Joel? I think that's exactly right. I think what she was trying to do is stay on her feet until Mm. she could figure out another option. That's all. Um, She was looking to get to the next moment. 
And now a conversation with artist Alyssa Monks, who created Erica Haskard's artwork. I spoke with Alyssa in her studio in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Tell me how you came to be the artistic voice of Erica. Like, was there an audition process? No, there was no audition process. They found me. The story that I heard was that Joe and Joel had a friend who is a gallerist. And when they spoke to him about this project, this gallerist was familiar with my work, recommended me. That's how it all started. And from there, they just came over. In my mind, it's almost like they might speak with an actor, you know, they have these tone meetings, they, they talk with the actors, you know, and all the other people involved, and they kind of indicate the tone that they're looking for, the character beats yes. that they're trying to bring out. So did they do a, something similar with you? Absolutely. You know, at first, we started with words and language to try to get there. But I took out my catalog. <laughs> and I just said, uh, let's look through what I've done and, and tell me what resonates with you because that that's how I can understand what they're actually looking for and there were a few paintings you know from the past that resonated with them and specifically the painting of my mom which is on the set and that was here in the studio that painting that painting was never supposed to leave the back of my eyelids let alone the studio you know it was just such a personal piece mm. and i thought no one would ever ever want this but i felt compelled to make it and so there's there's a lot of vulnerability in it and mm-hmm. there's a lot of raw energy and and a lot of grief and passion that piece is kind of i feel what the whole character has been built around but yeah it was really serendipitous that that painting happened to be here and when they came and and a few others that we looked at in the catalog also resonated with the kind of you know not just the look but the feel of what what they wanted to convey, I think. From that conversation, we started to pick work that I'd already made to dress the the bedroom with. And not just what work looks like Erica's, but that was a big part of it, but also what an artist's studio would kind of feel like. Certainly there were paintings that were appropriate and we we got those in. You know, when they were here, there there's a bunch of paintings on this wall over here, which were just kind of works in progress, little small studies, ideas. And I had this habit of just putting small things up, like you can see all around, that are not quite going any anywhere but here, but maybe they will. And it's just like, it's just a process. And they were attracted to the idea of this collage kind of thing on the wall. So that was a, a fun project. It kind of a tricky one to recreate, you know, because yeah. it happens organically. You just hang one thing and then there's three things and there's 10. So to kind of back out of that and then kind of recreate this very organic looking collage wall was um, was really fun. And it wasn't just me in the room doing it. There's like 100 people there, um, and, you know, putting things up and moving things around. That was kind of thrilling. But, yeah, it was about not just the art, but the feel of the space. I'm surprised, actually, to hear how much of art that you'd already created, Alyssa Monk's art, yeah. was used. Yeah, so there's you, only just like a few drawings that were created on the set or here for the drawing process, uh-huh. like when Erica's actually drawing. Uh-huh. Those were done specifically for the show. And there's a painting that I recreated that I had done in the past, and I kind of put a little edge on it. It's really interesting to me that it is your work. I imagined you're, you know, being told about Erica, getting some vibes and, you know, almost like acting, taking on a persona. 
Is that what happened for the ones that you did create? Oh, for sure. For certain, this last one. Okay. I'm definitely stretching to the, the acting um, uh, part of my, which is not very developed at all. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, learning new things as I'm going. One of the things that I found really surprising was walking into the set and not just, you know, looking around and seeing this setup of this dying person in the room and how much that was very surprisingly triggering, but then seeing the work on the wall, you know, at the end of that first set dressing moment and, and seeing all the work now, it's my work on this set. And it really was this kind of transference that happened where it wasn't my work anymore. And I got this strange outside view of this process that I've been going through from a distance. I mean, I don't know if, if many artists get to do that. And boy, that was, that was really um, helpful. So that wasn't the same as like you go into when you have a show and you go and you see all your work. And you no, think, wow. you still feel like it's yours. When you, <laughs> you still feel like it's very much, uh, yeah, this is what I've been doing for the past two years. If you see it in other people's houses, does, is that different at all? Yeah, it is. So if you finish a piece and somebody finds a connection with it and then they take it and put it in their home, you know, the artwork has a life of its own then. And it's not mine anymore. And I and I always think of that. Like the work is mine when I'm making it. And once it's done, it's it's searching for where it's going to end up. And the process continues with the collector and the piece. But yeah, when I see my work in collectors' homes, there's it's almost a nostalgic kind of feeling. It's like a looking at a diary entry of a certain specific time. So it takes you back to when you made it. Exactly. But it, yeah. So but it still feels like a piece of me. But this was. Um, very removed. I really felt like I, wow, I didn't make these. Like there was kind of like a suspension of disbelief yeah, from, yeah. for a moment where it's just like, if somebody else made these, what would I think of them yeah. then? Erica and I are kind of kindred spirits in a lot of ways. In what ways? Um, she loves making art and she's truly an artist and she's, she's struggling with this huge loss of her own, her own life. And, and for me, that was the loss of my, my mother's. Mm. There's so many things that align with us in terms of what we care about and how we feel so strongly about right. about things. Um, I feel like Erica is saying things that I couldn't say. She's so much more direct than I am. But like when she, some of the lines she says, I'm like, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say it was a, a really surreal experience to walk in to the set the first time and see this room of a, a dying person. And there were so many little details, like uh, there's a toothbrush in a cup near the bed. And I just was like, oh my God, this is very triggering. You know, it just reminded me so much of what my family and I went through. When you're taking care of somebody who's very ill, uh, you end up with all of these kind of weird things around the room, just out of convenience. And they're not things you would think of unless you've been there. And so there was something so specific about that, that you know, only a person who's been through it would know that that's what ends up being there is there's a toothbrush by the bed because you're brushing the person's teeth and in, in bed. And it's just, that's where it goes now. It, and it's something you totally forget about when it's over until you see it again. Well, let, let's just pause for a moment to say that you have a very famous TED talk, which everybody can find very easily in which you talked about your loss of your mother and her diagnosis and kind of knowing that she was going to die and preparing and coping with that and also how it kind of changed your art 
changed my my mind. It just changed my personality, I think. <laughs> I mean, there's like a complete shift of understanding that we can't control uh, so many things. To bring that to Erica, this is a woman who knows that the end is near, is trying to hold on because she, she wants to do more work. Did you conceive of her art changing as she came to terms with her diagnosis? Yeah. Yeah, I think her work gets a lot looser and a lot more immediate and less fussy and there's less of a need for it to be good. It just has to be real. The way I think of her and her need to keep drawing and making art so furiously even at these dying moments, when you make art, you get to leave your body almost. And it feels like you're alive. You really are just alive in a way that you're in, in direct presence with with the moment that you're in and you don't have to think about anything in front of you. There's a distraction level, but also it's energizing. You know, it's life affirming to be creating something. That's why I think she's doing it. And then and that's why I think she's teaching Elizabeth. Right. You know, because this is a way for her to to keep connecting in the way she's always done and not think about what's coming. You know. that, that's really curious because I was really wondering about that, about given that she knows her time is limited and, and she's spending time and, and really pushing Elizabeth. Yeah. And that surprised me, but that's really interesting to to hear that that's, that, that feels real to you. Absolutely. She's this person, she's like, I want to have real conversations. I want to have some kind of finger on the pulse of life. And so instead of just sitting there in, in kind of a sick room, she's bringing everything that she cares about into that room and making Elizabeth be part of it. Yeah. It does. It makes total sense to me that she's that she'd be doing this. We also know though that her art kind of shakes Elizabeth. It really freaks her out. I'm not quite sure yeah. what the what the quite right term is because it's hard obviously always very hard to read Elizabeth. But as an artist, what your interpretation of like why that would affect Elizabeth, a woman who can rise above many, many things. Yeah, I've, I've thought a lot of, about this. Elizabeth is a communist and, and she's not particularly fond of art making and that whole process. But then when she's experiencing the, the work in person, and I think it's not just the work, it's Erica. It's being next to someone who cares this much about something and who's so determined to do it. And there's just this abundance of it everywhere. In your view, Elizabeth recognizes a fellow true believer. Yeah. Somebody who's got a real commitment to something yeah. bigger than herself. Yeah, it's not frivolous. It's not a joke. It's not a hobby. This is a dead serious woman who, even in her dying moments, is still determined to keep going. I think it's the seriousness of it. The, yeah, the commitment. And so it's been a positive experience? It's been much more than a positive experience. I mean, first of all, I had no idea the extent to which we would get involved, you know, and, and collaborate. Collaboration is always such a thrill, you know, to be with other creative people who understand that process of one thing leads to another, leads to another. And, you know, you may have had an idea, but it just kind of grows and spirals and it has you at a certain point, you know, it has you in its grips and you're just following this, this idea down the rabbit hole. So to be around that on such a large scale, is absolutely thrilling. Do you think you would like Erica? Do you think you would get along? I mean, we've talked about these parallels, but that's not always the same as like, <laughs> would I like her? Would you like her? Oh, I would absolutely love her. 
<laughs> I would I would just I'd probably be intimidated by her, but I would have a lot of respect for her. I think we'd get along pretty well. Before we sign off this week, a quick word from set decorator Mila Kalovich and art director Tim Goodmanson about working with Alyssa Monks and the special challenges of decorating an artist's home. For me, it was challenging because it was my first time collaborating with an artist on the the set decor. She really was very helpful and we even brought her in to help hang her artwork in the set. But what I found most interesting was that I didn't use any other art. So I had to look for other wall decor to use, you know, like plates and tapestries and masks and anything that wouldn't be a piece of art to compete with her paintings. And it also kind of tells the story of their life before this current moment. What was their life like before she got sick? Well, the backstory is that they were world travelers, that they traveled a lot. So that was something that our graphics designer had to really get involved in. We reached out to both actors to provide any photos because they weren't working yet, so it wasn't possible to get them in for a photo shoot. And so our graphic artist, uh, Zach Zerlin, had to take their photographs and try to take the heads off their real photos and put onto stock photos that we could get from a photo source and, uh, you know, work to try to make those believable photographs around their home. Thanks to Joe Weisberg, Joel Fields, Alyssa Monks, Mila Kalovich, and Tim Goodmanson. Thanks also to Daniel Schrader for recording assistance and to the Americans Sarah Nolan for organizational help. Please join us next week when we'll be discussing episode 603, Urban Transport Planning, with some very special guests. I'm June Thomas. Thank you for listening.